1: Welcome back, everyone. Thank you guys so much for joining us here for another episode, wherever in the world you're listening to us from, whatever platform you guys are listening to us on. As always, thank you guys so much for the support, the kind messages, the emails, the tweets, all the love that you've sent the show our way. Really appreciate it. Really excited to be bringing this episode to you here today. Now, this is a topic I've touched on a little bit in previous episodes, but it's it's such an important one to the overall basketball coaching experience and that is executing in the fourth quarter and in the, in the topic of late game execution and making sure that your guys and your girls are ready in the fourth quarter to play to the best of their ability, close out that game strong and execute all the things that you've been practicing and execute all the things that you've been working on during the first three quarters of the game. So that's what we're going to focus on today. We're going to talk about uh, executing in the fourth quarter, talking about some uh, timeout execution, defensive execution, locking down on that end as well, and all the good stuff that uh, goes into making sure that you, you finish a game strong and, and have a successful fourth quarter. And as always, of course, I do not do this alone. I'm very happy to be joined by a, a very busy individual, uh, as i <laughs> will mention, I'm sure, uh, taking on a, a a new gig now. At uh, Seward County Community College, I am joined by Coach Will Marchiano. Coach, appreciate you coming on talking to us, despite how busy you are. How are things?
0: Well, Coach, I'm I'm great, and I appreciate you uh, making the time for me today too. It's uh, it's gosh, it's been busy, <laughs> but it's a good busy. So really glad to be on here today. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah really, really a good busy. I like that. Um, let's start, Coach, with your journey with the game of basketball, uh, the playing or the coaching journey. Where has your journey taken you, and and what ultimately got you uh, to Seward County?
0: Yeah, you know, I I got into coaching basketball in the winter of two thousand nine, and really took off in in the spring of of two thousand ten. My wife and I created, uh, owned, and operated an AAU program in Des Moines, Iowa, for for eight years, um, called the Iowa Dragons. And, um, we, we coached third through 11th grade, um, girls club basketball for eight years. While I was doing that, I had a, um, kind of climbed up through the high school ranks and I coached under, um, a legend, legends, um, Bob and Sharon Hansen at Dowling Catholic High School for two years as a JV coach, um. And then I, I got my first head coaching job as a high school head coach at a small Christian school, one of the small schools in the state of Iowa, um, Iowa Christian Academy in 2013. And I coached there for three years and we increased participation total and win total every single season. Um, and and when I say one of the smallest, they, they had 42 boys and girls combined ninth through 12th grade at their school. And, and so my final year coaching at Iowa Christian Academy, I had what I considered to be a very veteran group. And um, I also added a couple ladies that were, um, that were cheerleaders that decided to come out for basketball. So I got to, I really at the high school level, got to teach young ladies how to dribble, pass and shoot. And some of them were doing it for their first time ever um, in ninth grade. And and that really kind of, in, in my opinion, those three years were really some of the best years for me coaching, Um, maybe not in the moment. <laughs> um, in <laughs> sure. the moment, I was probably frustrated from time to time, but we had some really good moments too Um, during my time at, at, at ICA, and then I was fortunate enough to join Gary Smith and his staff at Grandview University um, from 2016 to 2020, and um, right after COVID hit, I made... um a decision to to come down to Seward County as an assistant coach, and so uh, Todd Chiquetto got the job at Seward County in in 2020 in the spring of 2020, and um, came down with him. And and uh, you know we just we I, I was his assistant until August of 2022, so about nine months ago, and mm-hmm. I took a unique opportunity um, to be the assistant. Uh, one of the assistant coaches at Washburn University, which is a division two in the MIAA conference um, in Topeka, Kansas. And I coached up there this past season. And um, now I'm back as the head coach. So, uh, you know, we were really, really successful during my time here as an assistant coach at Seward County. We won 73% of our games, um, went 40 and 15, made a region final four at, at the Juco level, especially in this league. Anytime you can make the, the final four of your regional tournament, you feel like you've, you've accomplished a lot. And so, um, that, that's, that's my journey. I'm super excited to be back at Seward County. I can't tell you how thrilled, um, my wife and I are, are to be back in liberal Kansas and, and, uh, gosh, I just, I wish it was November right now, but I got six more (laughs) months, um, to, to get, get settled and and get this roster squared away before, (laughs) uh, (laughs) <laughs> before the games tip off. And,
1: and a big to-do list too, right? It seems like,
0: <laughs> yeah, it seems like it's never ending. And then yeah, things yeah. jump up on the to-do list and, and, and kind of crush, you know, it, stuff will jump up to number one and it'll push everything down um, a couple notches and I have to wait to, to accomplish those things off my yeah, yeah, to do yeah. list. And that seems like it's never ending, but um, you know, anything that I've encountered here in the first six weeks of uh, being back here at Seward County, um, they're just—it's been positive. So awesome. Um, it's 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 just really really good to feel like you're you're back home, so to speak.
1: Yeah, that always a good feeling. That 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 feeling of comfort, right? You can't you can't replace that feeling of feeling like you are where you belong to be.
0: A hundred percent.
1: Fantastic. Uh, we, we we talked about, um, in in our uh, conversations before record uh before recording that that you have a uh, passion for mental health, and I wanted to ask you about. Uh, the process of of coaching or, or teaching that importance of mental health to your players, and 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 what goes into making sure that uh, your players are are mentally healthy and can advocate for their own mental health.
0: You, you know, I think one thing that's that's really huge that isn't spoken about a lot is that chase that we always make in athletics for perfection, and it seems like we're always gravitating towards what does a perfect game look like? What is a, you you know, what is a perfect play offensively um, ran like or executed like, and what does the perfect possession defensively look like? And we're in practice and we're doing things where we're going to play defense for 30 seconds and it needs to be really good and you need to get a stop. And how many times in a game does that actually happen? Hmm. You know, and yeah. so we're always in this pursuit of perfection. And I think one of the things that, um, that that I try to, um, really express to my groups that I've ever coached is: yes, we are in the pursuit of this perfection, or 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 trying to do something perfect. But it, while we're going through that process, also know that we have to be okay with being imperfect um, during this role, and then we learn from those mistakes and we try to get better fully knowing that we probably aren't ever going to reach that perfection. Um, but it's something that we strive for, and it's something that we try to do uh, on a day-to-day basis, and that's how you get better, and that's how you see the growth. But being able to recognize that and then being able to express that to your team so that they understand it, I think, are 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 things that really kind of um, aren't spoken about a lot. And then another thing, too, is, is I always feel like at least from, um, you know, relatively being an assistant coach recently is that the head coach's office is kind of like, it's not necessarily a negative zone for players, but like when they get called up to the head coach's office, what, what are they feeling when they're walking up there? You know, Um, some nerves, I'm sure. (laughs) this, This is really touching on that mental health aspect, right? It's like, okay, what did I do wrong? They're like probably revisiting everything, right? Like, why should the head coach's office be a negative space? And I'm not saying that it is in, in any stop that I've been on. Mm-hmm. Um, but just in general, um, the head coach space, at least my my office here at Seward County, and I've told all of our returners this, this is not a negative space. Um, we want this to feel kind of like a home court, if you want to talk about it like, like a, a home game or a road game, right? Um, we don't want our ladies coming into my office thinking that they're about to suit up for a road game and trying to figure out how to overcome everything when they walk into the office. Um, we want this space to be uh, friendly. We want it to be inviting, know, Knowing, fully knowing that there will probably be tough conversations inside these walls. But um, at the end of the day, we want them stopping by saying hello. We want them talking to us about the good stuff and the bad stuff. And um, if this space can be more inviting than maybe what the perception is, um, I think we're winning, um, especially from a mental health standpoint. But uh, continuing on that aspect too, I think you know we, we all have to understand, we all have to remember like there are de- there are times when um, you know we're 18 to 21 where we we had bad days and sometimes they strung together for for more than one or two days. And so um, what what are we doing on a daily basis to make sure that basketball, while it is used as a platform, can still be used as a release for them as student athletes too, um, that they should be able to come in and, and understand, gosh, I'm, I'm at, I'm at basketball practice. I'm going to be coached. Um, I'm going to be coached hard, but um, I also understand that, that it's done with a lot of love and care and, and um, that if I have issues, I can talk to my coaches about them. Um, I think that's just, I think that's key. And I think that um, it's not done enough.
1: And your have a you you probably see some unique experiences going along with that with players who are playing uh, you know at the collegiate level and and I'm sure for some of them as you mentioned about you know being okay with with struggling and not being perfect there might I imagine you have players who when they get to the collegiate level. That might be one of the first times they've really struggled with basketball or really, you know, maybe faced adversity that they haven't faced before. And I, and and it, it could be very like daunting and overwhelming to them to kind of be in an experience like that, let alone the fact that they're in college and just in a different environment that they are in high school. There's a lot of change and a lot of adjustment that the, the players go through. And as you mentioned, right, they need the their, their coach's office to be a, a space that's that's a home game and inviting to them because there's probably a lot of new that they're experiencing, especially uh, playing at a at a college level.
0: There's so much new. I mean, think about this. The first time you left your house at, you know, 17 or 18 and you go off to college and there's no rules. Well, there are, but and it's, the structure, it's a right, lot right. Yeah, it's a lot different than it was when you were at home. Um, at least it was for me. My mom had rules for for me and, and wanted to make sure that I was home by a certain time. I wanted to make sure that, um, you know, it, that that I let her know what we were doing if I was um, hanging out with a group of friends. And um, there was all these different things going on. And then you go to college and it's like, oh, I set my own rules. Oh, I if I don't want to go home right now, I don't have to. Um I don't have to go back to my dorm right now if I don't want to. Um, and so you've got all this change, and you've got all these things. Now you're almost—it's—it's it's almost like you're burning the candle at both ends. Yeah. And we're requiring a lot as basketball coaches, or as coaches in general for any sport. And then you know everybody sees what we do on game day out on the court, but nobody sees the weight room sessions, the film sessions, the pool workouts. Of course. Um, yeah the training room sessions with our, our incredible athletic training staff where, where, you know, if they're, if they're nicked up or bumped or bruised or they, their back is sore, whatever the case is that our trainers are doing everything they possibly can to make sure that our ladies are are back on the court in a timely fashion and are still able to compete at a high level. Um, you just don't see that. You see it when the, br- the bright lights are on and mm-hmm. um, there's just so much change. And, and then, and then what do we do as coaches? We ask them to to chase this perfection thing, and they're they're <laughs> eighteen to twenty two, or in my case at the junior college level, they're eighteen to twenty, and um, and, and and we're asking them to chase this perfection in the midst of all of these changing and variable parts that are going on in their life right now, and and then we want them to be consistent, and we want them to be consistently good every day, and mm-hmm. we get on them when they're not. Um, So sometimes you have to take a step back as a coach too and go, "Yeah, you know what? We've just been requiring them for three months now. We haven't even played a game yet. It's August now. It's now all of a sudden it's it's November, and I've just been requiring them for three months now to be consistently good, five to six days a week. Yep. But they're eighteen to twenty.
1: Tall task. Yeah. Yeah, I
0: can't even do that sometimes (laughs) at (laughs) thirty eight. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Like like to be able to to be able to ask them to do it almost dang near every day and then um to not give them a break or to not do something fun with them um is just it's it's almost crazy to me to think about when you think about it in terms like that. Um
1: yeah, when you really take a step back and really yeah. really think about what you're asking. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah, so like why why aren't we, you know, playing wiffle ball or doing something with the another team on campus or or you know making sure that uh, we go out and support men's and women's soccer in the fall or uh, baseball and softball in the spring or whatever's going on on campus we should be going out and doing that too and not just being um concerned about everything else that we we typically handle on a day-to-day basis um trying to take a step back and look at it from a bird's eye view uh you know it's it's really quite honestly it's 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 amazing what we ask them to do on a daily basis and how much they step up to the challenge and complete those tasks of, of, and, and and are successful at it too.
1: Yeah. No, a hundred percent. When you really, when you really think and and really take a step back, especially like we talked about with people of of such a young age too, who are still coming in their own and figuring out their place in the world. Yeah. It's good to, to kind of step back and really, really reflect on that. I, I like that a lot. Um, Moving moving into the topic as as we kind of go into fourth quarter execution, my, my first question I wanted to ask you was just the general process of evaluating and reflecting on what your team needs in the fourth quarter. So when you're when you're in a game situation and, and you're in the process of thinking about how the first three quarters went, and I know every game is different, but when you get to the fourth quarter, how often do you, do you feel that you're finding yourself um kind of sticking to, to to the script of of what you had already scouted for and or what what you've already planned for versus needing to make a lot of uh in-game adjustments or adjust a lot to a lot of things come the fourth quarter
0: you know i think um I, I think this is where i'm able to really draw from previous experiences and and um you, you know my coaching career a, a lot of people talk about aau basketball and they're like oh man what a what a joke. All the cost for this or that. Kids are playing five games in a weekend. What what type of toll does that do on their body? Um, as a as a program director and a co-founder and a co-owner of an AAU program, I used to coach 10 games a day. And so um, what it did for me is it made me relax as far as looking at each game as a brand new game. And being willing to make those adjustments on the fly it incredibly helped my, my coaching career. So I'm more willing to do those things than maybe somebody who has only coached in college or only coached in high school. Um, not a knock to those people at all whatsoever. I'm just saying drawing from my experience, um, I feel like having coached thousands of those games, especially when really, truly, honestly, they don't matter um, and being able to try out things and tinker with things. And, um, all of a sudden you feel a lot more comfortable going, okay, yeah, this is a thought or an idea of what I think we could do in the game in the fourth quarter. Um, if we put ourselves in this position through the first three quarters or, um, Hey, I need to make this adjustment in the fourth quarter, or, Hey, we need to really think about this, um, set after a timeout or, um, you you know, when we advanced the ball in the fourth quarter with, with under a minute left. Um, And I, I think that has really or will really help me now moving into the head coaching role at Seward County, um, be able to assess that throughout the game and then um, just feel more comfortable going, Hey, you know what, this game hasn't gone the way that I thought it would and I Mm -hmm. need to make an adjustment here And, 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 and I'll be totally okay doing that because I trust my instincts because I have coached in thousands of games, even though my quote unquote official coaching record or 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 career has been, you know, eight years in college and, and six at in high school. You know, um, but those AAU games add up. And, and when you're able to tinker with stuff like that and you just feel a little bit more comfortable when you get into this setting. So it's kind
1: of the 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 idea of just having been around so many different situations and in a sense it's like you've seen so much that almost like nothing nothing really surprises you is so much anymore.
0: A hundred percent and the other thing too that that I do that probably again is I touched on it a little bit when we first started the pod is 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 what goes unnoticed, what people don't see, all they see is our product on on game day is I've got two monitors in my office. I'm able to crunch film and look at stuff like that, but I also have the same setup at home. And I did that on purpose because I'm a film junkie. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'm going to know every single defensive tendency about a team that they show on film before we play them. Um, That's just how I operate. That's how I'm wired. Um, Anybody that's coached with me before in the past knows that I know those things. They also know that, that, I'll know who the worst free throw shooters are on every team and and at the end of the game, in case we need to foul. And, and, um, those are the things that uh, in my opinion, close the gap or shorten the gap. If you're playing a team that maybe has, um, more skilled players than you do. Um, and, and so you, you have to know those things. If, if they're switching every screen, maybe we need to set ghost screens maybe we need to do different actions maybe we need to set flare screens instead of pin downs and um you know you're always constantly reviewing and assessing those things during the game and then um also having great assistance help too uh cuz they're able to talk to you during timeouts about what they're seeing and and all of a sudden you've got six other sets of of eyes on stuff and or three other sets of eyes on stuff six eyes that total that that can give you the ins and outs of what they're seeing too and um that's just that's that's key
1: and so there's a lot it sounds like of work that you and and, and your staff do before a game where you pretty much can identify players their tendencies their their kind of abilities and their skill set that there's it doesn't seem like uh too much is going to necessarily surprise you come during a game so that you're not like scrambling towards the end of the game, trying to figure things out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I have a joke, a running joke with, with our ladies that um, I've used before and with every other team that I've coached. And it's, it's kind of twofold. One, um, you know, everybody at least in in our conference here in, in Kansas, every town has a subway. If they don't have anything else, they have a subway. <laughs> um, and, and so my joke is, is they better smell the onions and the and the honey mustard and you better put nasty stuff on your subway sandwich. So when they're guarding you, they 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 take a step back because your breath smells so bad. (laughs) And then on the the other side of it, I tell them, and you better know exactly what they put on their sandwich at lunch because your um your your understanding of the scouting report, your understanding of of specific situations, we've gone over it in film. We've showed you what they run late game situations. We showed you um, what they like to do out of timeouts or at the at quarter breaks when they get the ball uh, and the possession arrows in their favor. So um, we really break that stuff down for our team and, and take scouting to another level. Um, at least in my opinion, some people will probably call it pretty standard that are listening to this podcast. But um, I really want to break it down so that our ladies have a great grip on tendencies of players what they like to do, what they don't like to do. Can they shoot the three? Are they only catch and shoot? Um, Do they make great reads off of ball screens? All that stuff so that Mm -hmm. they feel the most comfortable um, when they go out and play their opponent. Like they know more about their opponent than their opponent knows about themselves.
1: Knows about themselves, right. And and I'm sure it helps adjust with dealing with any sort of nerves or or emotions or things stress that can come at the end of the game if they feel like they don't they're not going to be surprised by anything that they see that they can trust you guys as a staff and then they, they, they've they worked through these things they've seen through these things they know exactly relatively speaking what to expect that, you, that it, in some ways it maybe takes away from some of that nervous energy or some of that mental fatigue that that might creep up at the end of a game
0: yeah and i i always kind of think about it too like like, um, you know, if, if games are like exams, final mm-hmm. exams, and you go into this game and you've studied, right? Well, timeouts, what if what if all of a sudden when you're taking your final exam, you had little timeout breaks where you could review your note cards or you could go back and look mm-hmm. through your notes? Like, that's what timeouts should be, especially late games, In we, and we are on defense. It should be, hey, remember, this is what they like to run yeah. late game. Remember, they want to get the ball to this person. Remember their tendencies here. And it's a review so that it's not all brand new information because you've held it close to the vest. And you're just like, well, we'll just explain it to them when the time's right. No, explain it to them before the game.
1: Just give them those Let reminders. Them know
0: so that now they're in the final exam and they've got this scenario going in their mind and bam. Mm-hmm. Now you get to hit them with a refresher. And you're talking to them about um you're you're talking to them about uh uh stuff that you've already reviewed 2 3 days before you're
1: not and teaching them and now they them. can take yeah. a
0: deep breath and they go oh wow yeah i remember when when uh you know the coaching staff went over this in practice yeah yeah that's exactly what we did yeah now i remember it now and now now that the nerves is is done yeah and um and, and they can go out and execute what you want them to execute. Uh, 30 seconds is a long time. Uh, a minute and a half is a long time for full timeouts. And so you just kind of, you know, one thing that I like to do is I like to put that up on the shot clock or the game clock, and you just sit there with them on the court. And they nice. sit in chairs, and you sit in a chair, and you go, see how long this is? <laughs> so when we're in the thick of the battle and we have a timeout, we got to execute this stuff, and we're drawing stuff up on the board. If you need to ask a question, you better ask it. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. it's more important that you ask the question than, or you instead of bumping your buddy and now they're distracted and you're trying to ask them about something. Now, now we've got two people out of the five that are distracted in the timeout. So just ask your question because somebody else has that question too. And um, just being able to go through that stuff with them, I think really um, creates more relaxation for them when they get in the actual moment than if you don't cover it. Um, whether it's preseason or every week in practice, whatever you're doing.
1: And that was going to be a follow-up I was going to ask you about, the process of actually practicing for the fourth quarter itself, whether it's the the sets you want to run or just executing in in the fourth quarter. Do do you do anything specific tailored to late game or fourth quarter execution that you work on in in practice? And and what does that look like?
0: Yeah, I think – you know high school level without shot clocks and now uh, now more states are incorporating shot clocks so it changes things but back when i was coaching high school i used to just do like 2 or 3 minute games at the end and put a scenario up on the scoreboard and we would play it out and lots of times it would it, it would include holding the ball right um and then moving to college what i like what i've enjoyed doing is putting 6 minutes up on the on the game clock Mm-hmm. So now we're halfway through the fourth quarter. And now you got to play out the second half of the fourth quarter. The entire second half. Include we we put up foul counts, we put up possession arrow, we put up timeouts for each team. And you really got to play it out. And and we'll we'll play it out. If a coach calls a timeout, you call a timeout. It's a 30 second or a full. And we play those scenarios out. And the more comfortable they are in those scenarios, The more comfortable you can put your team in scenarios where they're losing in those games, the better. And when they get into those moments, they're going to be able to draw back from practice. And I think that that's so key when you're talking about um, coaching in general. You have to be able to draw from practice. That's where, like when games get stressful or, or games get tight, that's where your level mentally, physically Emotionally, that's where it stoops to is to whatever you've done at practice. Mm.
1: And, and and go ahead. I, I was going to ask about what what have you, what sort of challenges have you found that that your players are 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 overcoming during that 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 structure? Where where do they kind of have to really? Make those make those adjustments. Is it is it because of the clock? Is it because of the scoring and situation? Where where do you find that they're like really needing to to improve on and, and get better at when you're when you're simulating that environment?
0: I think early on when they first get to campus and we start doing this the first couple of times, I think it's really time and score and possession. And but I, what I mean by possession is, do you have the ball? Do you not? And then if it is a jump ball, do you have the possession arrow or not? And being able to understand where that's at because you can play both sides of it. If you, if you have the possession arrow, you want to try to keep it. So rip the ball away. Don't get in a jump ball situation. Um, If, you know, let's say you're down three and you don't have the ball, but there's a minute 15 left. Do you need to foul? Do you not? We talk about that stuff with them Mm -hmm. Um, because it's important. And, it grows their IQ with the game. And I think that that's huge is when, when when their IQ starts to grow, now they're asking you questions and you don't have to just make statements. You're not talking at your team in timeouts.
1: Yeah, they're figuring it out. They're they're, they're trying to figure out together and not just have it being
0: told to them. Yes, and I love it when it's more conversational. Us as coaching staff talking with them, not at them. Um, and when you can get to that level, I think, and it's in, you know it, when you get there with a team, that's when it can really be special. And so talked about striving for perfection and mental health at the beginning of this podcast, but like that's part of the perfection or part of the journey we're trying to strive for is what what are our timeouts look like? Can they become conversational? Mm-hmm. They probably aren't going to be conversational in November and December if they can be before we go home for, for a week or whatever, um, after finals for the holiday season. Awesome. That's yeah. even better. Or can they become conversational in January and February? Um, because you know, that's really when you begin that uphill climb of trying to play your best basketball, uh, all year. You, and, and I try to tell fans and, and I've, I've been, um, you know, confronted, not confronted, but, but, stopped at grocery stores and Walmart here in town talking about um basketball and ins and outs and offensive sets and plays and this and that and I said at the end of the day we just want to be playing our best basketball at the end of January and into February because once we hit March if we're playing our best basketball then we really have a shot. Yeah. And so um but going back to your original statement I think I think being conversational in timeouts with your team because that be- that creates a much more healthy atmosphere than if all you do is talk at your team and you tell your team what their team what you what you need them to do versus now we're asking questions now we're talking to our teammates now we're pointing stuff out in in, in huddles to each other and it's not just the head coach or the assistant coach talking at the players
1: and I've and I've always thought uh, as a coach that it's really hopeful if you can get your players to actually like talk to you during a timeout and, and have them tell you what it is that they're seeing or what it is that they have questions about because ultimately they're the ones that got to be playing on that court it it should be helpful for me as a coach to get their insight and they should feel comfortable to just tell me some things or talk about some things because they're gonna have a much better view of what's happening in a game than, than I certainly will.
0: No that you're spot on and I tell them that all the time like Like what, you know, I might ask them during a timeout in the second or the third quarter, what do you like here? You're playing. I'm not. What, what do you like? Do you want to run something specific? You know what our plays are. Tell me. Um, And I think that that just, again, creates that more of that conversational aspect of timeouts versus um, speaking at them that I think just creates a whole different um, culture and vibe within your program that, that uh, really taps in on the back end subconsciously to mental health.
1: Yeah, and and just even just for the fact that by Allowing them to have a voice, I think, just helps that much more with the, the the buy-in of your program and what it is that you're trying to do where they actually feel that, like, what they say actually matters. Because I think, and I, I know this in a high school experience, and you can speak from yours, I, I think it does wear on players after a while to constantly being talked at and being talked to and and them not feeling like they actually have any sort of voice to give their input or or have a conversation.
0: Yeah, I mean, and and, and you know outside of athletics, you go into different jobs. And and after college, I worked various different sales jobs and, and even worked in, in the TV industry for a couple of years. But like, imagine going to a job and you were just told every single day what to do. And you never had any sort of, just even an inch of wiggle room to where you got to choose one or the other thing to to try to accomplish a task. And I mean, that's really, I think, Again, bird's eye view on what we're doing here. If we just talk at them all the time, we never give them an option. We never give them a voice. And then we want them to be um, independent, strong, independent people that go out into the workforce and succeed, but they've never had a voice before. Yeah. That's... Or, or <laughs> you know, like, like, so where's the disconnect? Um, because they're going to need a voice in the workplace um they 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 need to have a voice not only in the workplace but socially and 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 within their family if, if you know if they choose to have one and um that's just so that's so key so like why why aren't we helping to produce that mm-hmm. um athletically because athletics do so much for um for young people and if if we can't we we have to be able to to help in that aspect too and giving them a voice is so huge uh,
1: yeah 100% agreed so we, we've we've talked uh, a little bit um, about the the concepts of the the timeout structure and and, and needing to uh, make sure that 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 is down. And during a, a fourth quarter situation, a tight situation in a game, what is your process for being able to sh- call something, set something up out of a timeout? Is is it a situation where? you've already practiced this and it's just like you said, kind of setting up reminders about what to need to do or, or are you ever drawing up things for the first time? What's kind of the, the set play uh, out of a timeout process for, for you and the, and the staffs that you've been on?
0: Well, I think it really depends on what type of team you have. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you have a team that does not do well with new concepts on the board, then you really got to be able to go, okay, do we need to practice this beforehand? What do we need to do? Um, but, but typically with the teams that I've coached, um, we're really focused on in practice and teaching concepts and different, different things to the point where we can execute all of our plays very well. So we might tweak one of our plays, um, whether it's a a baseline out of bounds or a sideline out of bounds, depending on, you know, the scenario of the timeout. And then, um, be able to kind of create something new off that tweak that's within a concept of what we do. And uh I, I think that's been where we've been really successful on previous staffs that I've been a part of is you're able to do something like that. And that's really um that's really retained very well by your by your players that are going to be going out on the court and executing it. Um and so I think, you know, for for me, unless there's something that just Blows me away from a previous out of bounds play or sideline out of bounds play that I never thought that the other team, our opponent, would do, then I'm probably tweaking one of our current sets and adding something new at the end. Um, Some of the best coaches that I've ever coached against that make it really, really difficult to scout, I use a phrase, they run this, all the stuff that they run is the same until it's not. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's when it makes it really hard to scout them and to get your team prepared because you're going through stuff all the time and then you're like this is just the same as like this call here that we're calling you know whatever and and now it's not and yeah, they're like just that well, little wait, wrinkle how, how can we tell yeah and so um, if we can do that I think we're setting ourselves up for success uh
1: what what do you think is the key to a good um even if it's like baseline out of bounds, you, you have you have the ball underneath your basket and you're looking for a bucket. what 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 sort of actions do you think are are the most crucial to to get a good look in a situation like that?
0: I think first, I think one of the things that you really have to focus on is teaching your players the importance of if you're not directly involved in the action, making it feel like you are involved. So, whether you're sprinting away from the ball or you're you're backing up to fake that lob pass over the top and then and then um, your defender gets hit with a back screen. whatever the case is, your effort in that moment executing even the smallest task helps make this play be really, really effective. And so um, I think that's the biggest thing is even if you're standing in the corner, maybe you're clapping or calling for the ball just to draw your defenders attention to oh shoot maybe maybe she is going to get the ball in the corner um oh um, maybe i should take one step out there so that when they 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 actually run their set i don't get hit with a three and i wasn't ready you know mm-hmm. and and now all of a sudden the action's happening and they're not in help like they were supposed to be and so just the the smallest tiniest of things really make a a, a player a set effective is if if people are going hard when they're not directly involved in the action how
1: much time would you say that you spend in in practice going over the these type of sets how how important is it to to repeat these and have, have repetition on whatever it is that you're calling
0: yeah i think i think it's super important i think you know if you don't spend 10 to 15 minutes on stuff like this every practice like um you know what, what are you doing? And I think at the high school level, when you had a little bit smaller practice window, I would spend five to 10. At the college level, I'm 10 to 15. Um, but even more important than than, f- like actually running the sets against either no defense or dummy defense is I think practicing the shots that you get out of the sets. Um, mm-hmm. Why aren't you shooting those shots in practice? And I'm not talking about just from the spot that you catch it in, but actually – Having a line, two lines and one line passes and the other line runs off of the fake screen to the corner to catch and shoot the three or to catch and shoot the 15-foot jump shot and practice those shots. I mean, you want to be efficient? How how are you efficient in those actions? It's because of muscle memory. It's, It's not just simply because you have the best athletes or the best players. It's because they've practiced those shots and they're comfortable with them. Um, so really just honing in on that, um, we we like to do stuff, you know, whether it's for 15 to 20 minutes or 20 to 25 minutes every single day in practice called game shots, where we're practicing actions both in the half court offensively or out of bounds offensively, shots that we would take in a game.
1: And that's going to hopefully, uh, I would imagine, deal uh, hopefully help with some of those potential like fourth quarter nerves or or you know nervousness that players would have if they're just being asked to execute something that they've repeatedly worked on over and over. And it's a shot that they've put up many, many different many times because they've been working on it in practice because they're like you said, doing these game-like shots.
0: Absolutely. And it goes back to what we talked about too about um the finals analogy, where if you're if you're taking an exam and you come upon a question and you're like, oh my gosh, I studied this question 12 times. This is the exact question. I can't believe that my professor put this verbatim on the final. <laughs> I know it because it was in the study guide, and I literally remember reading it 12 times. I know the answer. I know how to write it, or I know which multiple choice answer it is, um, and you feel really confident about it. Why wouldn't we want to put our 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 players in that same situation? Give them that question. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. Yeah, and right. all of a sudden, you're like, you're going to come off the double screen here, uh, you know, and they're like, oh, heck, yeah, we've done this. I mean, I just spent 10 minutes doing this in game shots this week. Like, I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, that That's a no-brainer. Like, let's go. Um, and And they feel supremely confident coming off that double screen or – coming off that single screen to the corner to shoot the three or the 15 footer or whatever action you're doing in your out of bounds sets or your half court sets. And now all of a sudden you start seeing your players play with so much more confidence. Well, they already have the answers to the exam. They already have the answers to the final. They've done it a million times. They've done it a thousands of times. Like, of course, they're going to feel great about it.
1: I think the uh, importance of of practicing, especially those those type of shots, like can't be uh, said enough. Especially complex actions like asking a player to come off of a, a double screen, get to a certain spot, catch, shoot. That is not something that is. Uh, I don't think many players are going to be working on on their own unless they're in a, have parameters to actually practice that sort of situation, because at least in my experience, if I have players getting shots up, they're not necessarily going to be working on that specific action. So to have that structure in place and practice, I think, is so vital because they might not ever really get the opportunity or chance or even think about actually practicing that sort of look unless uh, a structure is put in place to do so.
0: Absolutely. And, you and you, you know, everybody, almost every, every gym, well, majority of gyms, I shouldn't say every, but a majority of gyms in America right now have those those guns, those shooting rebounders for them, right? And it's it's easy to get shots up, shoot it, and it goes into the net and it gets pushed back out mechanically and you shoot it again. Dr. Dead stuff, yeah. Yeah, or, or maybe you take one bounce and you get a pull-up jumper or two bounces and a pull-up jumper. Um, but but you're not like you said you're not on your own you're not going through that structure of the, of the set or this specific action to get shots up.
1: Yeah, uh I know absolutely and and not even you know considering the 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 fact that you know you also need to have make sure your inbounders are working on their passing as well and hitting and hit them right in the the shooting pocket and everything so much and getting the screens down and everything like i there, there's so much to look for in that, that 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 you really just need to have the structure in place for
0: yeah, um, and, and you talk about ahead. like throwing a confident pass. Um, that's why I always said there's two lines when we do game yeah. shots because it's not a coach pass line. <laughs> um, and I, I tell, I tell our ladies this all the time. I don't need to practice my passing. Um, <laughs> and, and neither does my coaching staff, because let me tell you, we're going to throw perfect passes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um You you know, you guys need to to figure that out. You guys need to throw passes on the laces or on the seams to each other. Um, You guys need to feel what it's like to hit your teammate in the pocket and to have them make a shot um, in practice and in games. Yes. And so, um, you know, sometimes you look at teams, and and I've even kind of grown more accustomed to this over the past couple of years watching film, and I'm like, oh, you guys don't pass to each other in practice because – I'm watching you guys I'm watching teams that were about to play past to each other and I'm like, oh, that's really bad. Mm-hmm. Oh, they don't Uh-oh. hit each other in the pocket, you know. Um, or or the really, really, really good teams that you watch play, you're like, holy cow, like they hit each other in the pocket every time. Yeah. And and that's not just, oh, the the you know, the answer can't just be, oh, they must just play a ton of basketball together. No. That doesn't. No. It's because their coach is requiring them to throw good passes to each other in practice for muscle memory. And um you see that typically you see that with the really, really good teams, the elite teams that you play against, they typically throw elite passes to each other.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's, it's just habit. It's something that they're, that's continuously emphasized and they continue They're working on now. I hundred percent agree. Uh, in the half court in a fourth quarter, or I, I'm not exactly sure if, if your uh, half court offense changes at all throughout the game. But in a fourth quarter situation, are you going to still run what you normally are going to run in in the half court? I know that's time and situation dependent, but in your experience, is your is your half court offense uh, change much or alter much in in the fourth quarter?
0: Um, I think it just kind of depends uh, if if teams make adjustments defensively or not, but. Typically, we're going to go to, you know, our bread and butter on on what we really, really like in in the fourth quarter. And that can be found throughout the course of a game um, based on how teams guard specific actions. And then we're just going to hammer those actions home or attack those mismatches um, in the fourth quarter. Hmm. And if that is, you know, just setting a flat ball screen up top, at the end of the shot clock, we'll do that. If that's running action and running just our basic four out one in dribble drive um offense, then that's what we'll do. Um and so I think it, it really comes down to to our coaching staff being able to identify not only mismatches on the court but also um uh you know what's working well throughout the course of the game.
1: And with that, I, I imagine, too, you don't want to throw too many too many new things or too many wrinkles because, as we kind of talked about, you want to make sure that they're, your players are feeling comfortable and they feel pretty confident, and you, you might not want to try and blow everything up or try something completely different new in the fourth quarter that they don't feel like they can comfortably execute.
0: Yeah, and typically, you know, something that I always kind of go along with is, is <clears throat> November, December, January – you're not throwing mm-hmm. a whole lot at them Fe- February you know or the end of January middle of January end of February you're playing teams for the second time in your league they've scouted you really well now you kind of have to start putting in some new stuff and whether that's on the fly in a game depending on your feel for your team if you feel like your team can handle that or not or if it's at practice first um and then you know all of a sudden by March you've got, a new collection of plays that whether they're quick hitter sets in the half court or they're new out of bounds plays that you feel really, really good about running because they haven't been scouted much. Um Because then once you get into that regional tournament, now you're playing teams for a third time. Um, yeah. Let's not pretend like they don't know everything you're about to do. <laughs> that you haven't done not only to them in two games, but to every other opponent for two games. You're going to be well so, scouted. Yep. Yep.
1: What, goes into making sure that your players are locked in defensively in the fourth quarter as, as, as the, as the game is, is kind of getting close or it's, it's, it's winding down here. How do, how do you make sure that uh, your players are able to still stay locked down defensively and, and, and finishing the fourth quarter defensively the way that you want to?
0: I think it kind of goes to a simple acronym, K, KYP, know your personnel. Um, and that comes back to knowing the scout. And then, Within that, if we had to make any sort of adjustments on someone, let's say we told our team that so-and-so is not a shooter and they can play a couple steps off and she's three for five from three today, well, we're going to have to guard her mm-hmm. now in the fourth quarter. So now we really have to step up and guard her. So now knowing your personnel or your KYP has got to be a little bit different. Um, but I think that's what really gets gets you know down to the nitty-gritty in the fourth quarter is knowing your personnel – and then, how much juice, how much energy and enthusiasm are you giving your team in timeouts? You know, yeah, uh, are you are you able to go, Hey, this is a really important stop here. You know, i we we think that they really like to run this action coming out of the timeout. Again, make sure that you know that um Sally doesn't want to go left. So when she catches it on the wing, force her left, get up into her, force her left, make her put it on the ground. We'll be all right. That's encouraging. You know, instead of vice versa, or looking at somebody and going, you know, if you could please just force her left for the first time all game, that'd be great. <laughs> you know, like we yeah. we we got to get to a point where we're giving them juice too in timeouts. You know, um, how how are we talking to our players, our student athletes, to make it known that we are supporting them in the moment? Um, and and again, that goes back to building trust, creating. Uh, healthy culture creating healthy mental health situation not only for your student athletes but also for your coaching staff too
1: and it's hard to play defense for fourth quarters is what i tell my girls and i understand that it's it's hard to lock in for fourth quarters so uh, to to your point of just anything that I think we as coaches can give to our players to just give them that little bit more of energy or or to encourage them because if they've been playing def- defense while well they've been playing defense the right way they're they're probably a little bit tired they're they're probably a little bit worn out but they 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 know the importance of locking in so I think anything we can do to just keep them positive and keep them going is much better probably than than doing anything that's could be construed as you know, tearing them down at all.
0: Absolutely. I think that's the last thing I want to do. Um, you know, you, you definitely want to keep building them up, build them up, build them up. So they feel like they have a ton of confidence heading into the fourth quarter. Um, I've been a part of games where I've been up 20 down 20 in the fourth quarter and I've come back and, and won or lost those games. And um, that's why you just got to keep encouraging your team to keep playing hard and, and keep being great teammates and keep being there for each other. And, focusing on the team getting stops, not necessarily somebody locking somebody down. What we're okay, maybe we have our best defender on their leading scorer. That's awesome. But what's everybody else doing to make sure that that your teammate feels supremely confident in that moment, guarding the ball at the top where no and nobody else is around. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah. I think that's huge, especially when they're tired. It's the fourth quarter and their legs are shot. Maybe they've played quite a bit. And, and now you're asking them to dig a little bit deeper and 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 dig into that reserve of energy that they maybe don't know if they have or not to get one more stop, to get one more um, rebound, whatever the case is. And, and we're focused on, you know, maybe one matchup or one person from the other team when we should be focusing on what are we all doing together to create the best situation um, to get the stop. Yeah. A
1: hundred percent. And uh, before we hit our concluding segment, I did want to t- touch on something that you brought up uh, earlier. I wanted to ask, and that was the importance of of the entire coaching staff in the fourth quarter. How important is it to rely on the whole entire staff to make sure that, that you're executing as a team and as a coaching staff in the fourth quarter?
0: It's huge. And I think, um, you know, something that, that, you know, we often chart um in the coaching world is how many stops consecutively have we got? Mm-hmm. but but what are we doing offensively too like have we just come down and run stuff and we're 0 for 3 or we're 0 for our last four um and and are you conscious of that are you aware of that and with that being said what type of shots have they been during those four possessions where maybe you've gone over four straight have they been threes have they been contested twos Have they been layups? What have they been? And then go get the shot that you haven't been taking and um, run, run a set to ensure that you get a different look. And so just being able to do that um, and, and, and having your staff aware of that, because um, you know, as a head coach, you're probably thinking about other stuff and You're going through things in your mind, time, score, possession, fouls, timeouts. Um, Maybe you haven't realized that you just went over for your last three or over for your last four. Hopefully you do, but maybe you don't. (laughs) If you have somebody on the bench that's telling you, it changes things, you know. Um, And so I like to tell my staff, like, everybody has a voice. I want everybody's thoughts or opinions, not necessarily at the same time. But um, if there's something going on that we've talked about in coaches' meetings, in the office – or after practice, or in the film room, and um, you know, we need to you, you need to remind me, remind me. don't, um, don't just assume that I remember.
1: And as a that. and as a coach you got to you got to make sure that you're communicating to to your staff that you, that you want those sort of things right I I've seen coaches who uh don't really have the best body language sometimes and don't feel like they're they're willing to hear from anybody else or don't want to hear from their staff and and I can tell that those those staffs may have some uh, difficulty executing in certain situations when one person the head coach takes it all on themselves and, and is blocking everything
0: else out Absolutely and that's that's about the last thing that I want to accomplish. You know, um, I think that um, you know if somebody has a, a great set or or something that they've kind of kept in their back pocket or they've drawn up and it's their play and we've ru- and we're running it now and we need to review it and they feel more comfortable drawing it up or putting personnel in specific spots to execute it, let them draw it up. I'm and- not opposed to that. And I think it's
1: super huge before I forget that, that that that's probably so helpful for you to to enable your staff in that way so that your players know that they can be listening and taking advice from from all the other coaches on the staff. And it's not all just, you know, it's just the head coach and I don't have to pay attention to anyone else to, to have, have those players know that they can talk to anyone or that any coach can talk to them and, and, and let them know what they need to do, especially in an end of the game
0: situation is huge. Yeah, and it's and it's big for that specific coach's development, I think, yeah, too. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that we'll do at practice every day is spend anywhere between 15 to, to 30 minutes in what I call guard post split. And that gives um that's gonna give everybody a specific chance to those those specific coaches, coaching guards, those specific coaches, coaching posts to have a voice. Yeah. And to really dive in with their positional players on 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 stuff. I, I, it should never be my voice only in practice. It should never be my voice only on game days, in the locker room at halftime, in the locker room at the end of the game. Um, again, conversational versus talking at them and just making sure, um, you know, that that they have the same respect for the assistant coaches that they do for me.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, 100% Agreed. And and man, this 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 flew by. So I, I know at some point in the future I'm going to have to have you back on and 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 discuss some some more hoops and some more coaching and stuff because I can't believe how quick this flew, coach. But uh, <laughs> to wrap up, there's there's a couple questions that uh, I do ask every guest. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, start with this first one, which is thinking back on your coaching career. Uh, what is a moment from your coaching career that you think others listening would be able to learn from?
0: Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, you know, we talked about these kind of um, but before we, we hopped on here tonight and, um, you know, I, I think it's it's um, listening to your gut instinct, mm-hmm. I think, is huge. And that goes into so many different avenues. And I'll leave it at this. Listening to your gut instinct um, currently where you're at, speaking to your head coach, speaking to other assistant coaches, if you work on a staff with multiple assistants, um, and and then always being um, uh, an active listener, I think is huge. Um, don't listen to just reply and, and just really be willing to soak in, um, what, what other coaches are saying to you, take that advice and, and run with it. But at the end of the day, you have to trust your gut instinct on what is going to be the best situation, not only for you, but for your family as well.
1: Uh, uh, Yeah, I I like that. Your your gut instinct, it's an instinct for a reason, I like to think. Like, there's a reason you have that instinctual, like, thing in your brain that tells you to act or do a certain thing. Like, there's a reason it's there. And uh, usually it won't lead you astray. Uh, To wrap up, I give every guest coach what I kind of call a 60-second soapbox, but I'm not going to time you, so don't worry. But... (laughs) Is your uh, platform kind of to get out kind of a a final message, a closing thought, just something in general that you want to leave the listeners with. And I'll just kind of let you take it any direction that you want. Very free form on on whatever it is you want to hop on your soapbox about. So coach, I'm just going to go ahead and uh, give you the floor and I'm just going to let you take it from here.
0: I'm going to, I'm going to touch on two things here tonight. Um, The first one is in recruiting with college coaches um, lots of times I think college coaches get caught up into who's offered who, what's going on here, what's this look like. I, I have always lived with trusting my eyes. I trust my own eyes. I don't care if I'm the first coach to offer somebody. I don't care if I'm the only coach in the in the gym or at that specific court at an AAU tournament. I don't panic when those things happen. Um, I actually really enjoy those moments. And I think it's really, really cool when you can identify talent and you can be the first person to offer somebody. That holds true. That holds very near and dear to that recruit's heart. Um, And in the moments that I've had um, where I've been fortunate enough, in my opinion, to offer somebody first, um, we rarely lose those battles. And so um, never be afraid to do that. Never be afraid to trust your eyes when you're out recruiting and evaluating talent. And then the, the second thing that I want to touch on is um, something that I'm really going to hold our ladies to um, in in this year, as well as our coaching staff, including myself, is uh, three E's, energy, effort, and enthusiasm. And what type of energy are you bringing every day? What type of effort are you bringing every day? And what type of enthusiasm are you bringing every day? Not only for yourself, but for your teammates and for your coaches. and Um, I think those three Es are so huge. And when I've been around teams that are really good and have high energy, high effort and high enthusiasm, we're always the most successful. We're always willing and able to overcome adversity within a game, within um, matters off the court, whatever the case is. When those three Es are at a high level, um, the teams that I've been involved in are typically very, very highly successful.
1: That's, that's fantastic. I, I just wrote that down because I might be stealing that, Coach. Hope you don't mind. <laughs> Don't mind if I take that from you. Awesome. Uh, coach, like I said, that, that flew by. Thank you so much for coming on, talking about, uh, fourth quarter execution, talking about the end of game situations. Also, also some great culture pieces. And of course, talking about, uh, using your whole staff and empowering everybody and embracing the failure part that you talked about earlier, which I, I really enjoyed a lot. So, uh, sounds like you're doing some great things here. I know you're super busy trying, trying to get everything ready for, for next year, but, uh, coach, coach Marcheneau, really appreciate it. And, uh, Get after it next year, all right?
0: Hey, thanks so much. I appreciate your time. And and coach, I look forward to to the next time we can hop on and and hang out for a little bit.
1: Love it. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for listening, everyone. This was another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast, and we will see you guys next
0: Thank you for listening to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Make sure to connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, or reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Take care, be safe, and we'll see you next time.